to episode 58 of the Carrier's Edge podcast. We're getting to be a senior senior podcast in, you know, in years. Uh, I'm Jane Jezrawi, co-founder of Carrier's Edge, and... I'm Mark Morrell, other senior. Yeah, <laughs> we're seniors. We're the gray heads doing the gray head podcast. Well, I've been we're the gray head now. for a long time. I'm telling you, there's been a lot of inter-staff discussion today about shows that we've been watching. They're making me feel old. There's like a, a <laughs> younger cohort and an older co- cohort. The old cohort seems to like mystery shows and, uh, you know, uh, drug cartel type things, very serious. And then the younger generation is like Brooklyn Nine-Nine. <laughs> Although pretty much everybody has chimed in on the Nine-Nine. Yeah, but it's like Tommy and Court, uh, not Courtney, uh, Tiffany and Rachel, and like the, you know that sort of younger, mm-hmm. the younger one. So I feel old because Brooklyn Nine Nine always makes me go to sleep. I have never, I, I think I've watched maybe two episodes, full episodes, and never at the same time because yeah, I you mean, mean you've seen the ending of two episodes. No, no, you've I've seen, seen the first half of every episode exactly, but I have seen a whole episode. I think when we watch it early in the night, I can stay awake Mm. or if you watch it or if I watch it in the afternoon, I can stay awake. But if it's nighttime, I cannot like if it's after 10, I cannot stay awake for that show. Mm. It makes me feel really old. Well, it's (laughs) funny that uh, we've been doing this internal discussion today about what TV people are watching. And there was a story. I think we talked about it uh, offline uh, before, but story about how people are going back and watching a lot of familiar stuff now. People yeah. don't want anything new. It's kind of a common thing through the pandemic. Everybody is going back through older things. So all this old stuff has got new life now. Yeah, and that's actually showing up in our shows that we're watching as well. Mm-hmm. So um, Friends has a couple of times appeared. Um, well, Twin Peaks, we were talking about that and the difference between what was his name? The good, the main guy, Agent What's, Cooper. Agent Cooper. What's the actor's name? Kyle, Kyle McLaughlin. Kyle McLaughlin. Yeah, Kyle McLaughlin then, and Kyle McLaughlin, McLaughlin, McLaughlin now. And I feel like it was, you know, in the eighties when Sean Connery, to many teenager types, was really sexy, and you know, and then he's just old. Yeah. Like after a while, he's just old. Well, thirty years later, you're going to look a lot older. Yeah. So. Yeah, so I find it very difficult to think of Kyle McLaughlin as a sex symbol because he does, he's not anymore. Sorry, Kyle. <laughs> Go you back know, and watch you. Twin Peaks. <laughs> you know what? I really liked Twin Peaks. I really did at the time, but I watched it all. And the second, the end of the second season when they were running out of reasons why Laura was wrapped in plastic... And they started having the backwards dreams and the dancing and all of the weird stuff. No. Yeah, <laughs> no. I had left the show by then. Yeah, <laughs> it was I just sort of, it, it was so, well, I was, I was, um, I was with someone at the time who loved it and mm. we were watching all of it. And so I was done with it, but I was watching it for him and um, he, uh Bitter end. It was a terrible ending. It was just a terrible, terrible ending. And because 
The person who said, like Rachel, who's the person who, one of our new graphic designers, who said that Twin Peaks is the one that she's watching. And I feel, it, but she said she's re watching it. So she already knows that the ending is terrible. Right. And she is okay with that. I, mm. I was not. But that was when you had to watch it every week. Yeah. And that was tough. Yeah. And sit through ads and things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who does that now? Maybe it's better if you can watch it now and you can binge it and skip ads. Maybe, maybe. I or don't know. maybe it's even more problematic because you're not having time to sort of forget. <laughs> yeah, I know. Between you're, the weeks, like, hey, wait a minute, this isn't working. Oh yeah, but uh, Agent Cooper and his pie. I've oh, forgotten yeah. about that, and I'm def- definitely not watching whatever reboot they had. Cause... We tried. We watched an episode of it, and then <sighs> we were reminded why we had left the show in the first yeah, place. Yeah, you had to be there. Anyway, this is not what we're supposed to be talking about today. So what do we... This is the opening chit-chat. Yeah. This is banter. <laughs> what was that word that made me laugh so hard this morning in our in our management meeting that... Whimsical. Whimsical. <laughs> Apparently that's the word that does it for Jane. <laughs> uh, no, but describing you as whimsical. <laughs> am I not? No. You're absolutely not. Apparently I am no fun at all. <laughs> No, no, no. You are definitely fun. I am fun. <laughs> I have whimsy. <laughs> this is, uh, fabulous. This like... is exactly what happened three hours ago on the management call. I'm going to try this two weeks from now and see if it works again. <laughs> Probably it will. <laughs> People are going to be coming up to you. <laughs> Say whimsical. Yeah. No, it wasn't the word. Whimsical is a good word. It just is not, it is just no. like a complete juxtaposition to you because you are not whimsical. You're very, de- you're very deliberate. Yeah. And you're not going to just throw out some crazy idea that you just thought of without actually, you didn't know, think about it for at least 10 minutes as opposed, I'm much more whimsical than you. And I don't even like it being, dis- I don't like that word for me either. <clears throat> it's a very much a, like I think of fairy dust and. You know, well, magic it, it came onto and... my, I guess, psyche because I think it was yesterday. I was flipping through YouTube and what came up in my feed was an honest trailer for every Wes Anderson movie. <sighs> and every That's... Wes Anderson movie is in one single honest trailer because they all have so many things in common. And they're all so identical in so many different ways. And that was one word that they used to describe so many of the different characters because there's always one whimsical plot and one whimsical character. In his movies. So. Yeah, like the unreal type of people and yeah. doing silly things that work out for them but wouldn't work out for anyone in real life. Yeah. And yeah, I guess you could call that whimsical. So there we are. Yeah, you are Apparently not. I am not that. You are not. I don't think anybody, anybody listening or anybody uh, who knows you, no, would, would ever. I don't think they'd laugh as hard as me. I mean, I know you, so... I've known you for a long time. Now I've got a life goal to become whimsical. (laughs) Still works. (laughs) I'm going to go get a zany hat. (laughs) Zany. Another. Oh, if you got a, if you got a zany hat and wore it to a public event, that would be whimsical. That would be whimsical. And I would have to like, what's wrong with me? I, yeah, they People would think if I had an injury or something. If no, I was they'd think that you were in some sort of uh, midlife crisis <laughs> and, you know, ask about the car and, yeah. you know, how's your relationship going? Yeah. And 
Yeah, that's more, I think people would think more about the psychiatric yeah. effects of a hat. But if you did wear one, that would be so awesome. It would be. All right. Hey, you kept it going. Well, yes. So we'll talk about some work stuff. Okay. Some things that were, I'm not even going to say the word. Whimsical? In the more towards that vein, your webinar this week. I wanted to talk about that a little bit because I think it was an awesome webinar and it was very creative and it was a really nice behind the scenes view of what's involved in creating content. And I love all of these, how it's made type videos of people talking about the challenges that they go through. And Apple does this a lot. They've had great success with all of these behind the scenes making of their products things and the challenges that are involved in designing and building it and building it in such a way that it can be reproduced and built at scale. So I find that really interesting. And your webinar was basically that. And there's actually a behind the scenes for the behind the scenes. Yeah. What was kind of cool about it is we're doing these video webinars now. And rather than just having a talking head with a slide deck, which is horrible, uh, we're doing it now as kind of an interview. It's sort of two people talking to each other about a subject which is much more engaging and much more easy to stay interested in. And I find it easier to follow along with. It's also easier to actually do. It's easier to put together. So Mm -hmm. it's great. It's less work for us or it's different work. That may be the case because you still put a fair bit of work into that, but it's spread across a couple of people and you get different perspectives and it's, it's a, it's a nicer way of doing things. So I thought that was kind of cool, but You also borrowed the idea from Wired Magazine, who does these interviews with celebrities and they have this most Googled questions and such and such celebrity will answer the most Googled questions. And they'll have like a piece of card stock with all of that stuff printed out and you peel off one of the questions and then answer it. And then you peel off the next question. You did the same thing. So with that... (laughs) uh, Arts and crafts project. Arts and crafts project. And it worked. It looked good. Well, here's the thing that I was thinking, because webinars are, and everybody's talking about how awful Zoom meetings are and how awful all of these things are. And I don't really believe that. I think people are just boring with them. Like if you have a talking head and you don't have an interesting background, so a lot of people are using these, like the simulated backgrounds for Zoom. So if you have a, like a block like if a simulated background, the problem is, is as soon as you move your head, that simulated background gets distorted and it's not that good. Uh, So if you're trying to be serious, all I see is, oh my God, can you figure out your background? Like, why don't you just clean up your house? And, and, you know, we all know you're doing it from your living room or your office or whatever it is where you're doing it from. Like, just make it look nice instead of having a stupid fake background Uh, or, you know, you know, do a temporary thing. So that is one thing about Zoom meetings. That, that is one of the reasons that Zoom meetings are terrible or virtual meetings are. And the other thing is that it's really hard to listen to one person talking. Well, these people are terrible speakers. And what I'm seeing is this is all the stuff that made presentations at conferences terrible. Mm-hmm. You get one person who is basically just reading the slides or you have a panel, but there isn't really any interaction. It is three people that each do their 10-minute blocks. Or you have one moderator who asks the prepared question, and then each person reads their prepared answer. These are just terrible. I hate these things, and I can never sit inside 
a breakout session at a conference for very long, unless it is like one masterful presenter, but those are few and far between. So it's even worse when you move all that online, put it into video with Zoom, and now you've got these terrible speakers doing this terrible, boring content with no creativity, no thought towards any of it. And yeah, of course you get tired of it because it's terrible. You shouldn't be doing it at all. And I think one of the problems with people doing presentations for um, seminars and conferences and things like that is that they're not relaxed. And one of the things that is the most most important thing for a presentation of any kind is to be relaxed. And if you can't actually be relaxed, because I know everybody's thinking, oh my God, how can you be relaxed when you're doing a presentation? It's scary. And yes, it is, but you can fake it. That's the whole point is that <laughs> Fake no, relaxation. No matter how nervous you are, and I get nervous, and it shows in my voice. Like I, when I get nervous, and you can't help it, you just kind of do. But if you go, and my voice starts getting higher, and I start having difficulties getting getting a whole sentence out, and things like that. But if you um, just try and relax, as you know, sit up straight and relax as much as possible. Take a lot of deep breaths. And remember the first thing that you're going to say and let it go after that. And also don't have it as a prepared speech. Have it as a series of Q&As. So that's what we did. Tiffany and I did it as a series of questions. So we know the content. So we didn't have to have a whole lot of prepared, prepared notes or anything like that. It was really about, okay, question number one is going to be this. Question number two is going to be this. Okay, here's what we're going to say. But we didn't know how, and it was actually, we did a rehearsal and what ended up happening was different, mm-hmm. which is fine. Like That's, that's great because then it's fresh. Yeah, and it doesn't matter. But the, what does matter is that you all sit up straight. Like, And that's the other thing is people do it in these armchairs. Yeah. And that is the Lounge. worst place to do any public speaking because you're sitting back, you're hunched, you've got your legs crossed or something that you should be sitting upright, back straight, lots of room for, you know, shoulders back, lots of room for your air to go in and out so that you can stop being nervous. And that's what Tiff and I did is that, you know, we both, I was standing, I think Tiffany was, she may have been standing too, um, which also gives you more of your body to show on Zoom, which I think is also important, is that you stand back a bit. You don't need to be like your head, can't just be your head and shoulders. Yeah, you don't want just a giant floating head on screen. Right, so you stand back a bit and then, you know, make sure that your your audio is working properly and have a conversation. You know how to do that. And what's really cool about what you do is that, and we'll go back to the the Google, the wired, um, the wired uh, revealing the questions thing in a minute. But what you do really well is you have great interview questions. So when you get someone in an interview, you can get them to talk way more naturally about their subject matter expertise than than they would if they were normally doing a presentation. Mm-hmm. So it's more engaging because you ask the questions, you don't you kind of control how long they talk, and then you will move it into different aspects. So I don't know how you, you know, how do you do that? Uh, I usually have a few things that I want to get to, a few questions that I want to uh, have sort of queued up, but I also recognize that I may not get through all of them because I'm going to listen to what they say and pick up on the things that they are talking about, which is something that 
I think we've honed through years of doing Best Fleets interviews is learning how to listen to what they say and pick out the gem in there and get them to explore that a little bit more. And that's what I do when I'm doing these kind of interviews for webinars, or we started doing this in our staff meetings as well, where we have somebody who gets a spotlight and we talk about their job function and their background and what's sort of unique about the work they do and why they do it the way they do. And I'm listening to the things that they're saying and picking up on the places where I want to get more info or where I think there's more that the audience will really benefit from. And then just push them in that direction and let them go. And I think that's what a good interviewer does. So that's why when you have one of these high profile one-on-one interviews with, you know, I don't want to say Oprah Winfrey, but, uh, you know, Anderson Cooper or one of the, you know, uh, oh, who's the Fox News guy? Um, Chris. Chris Wallace. Chris Wallace. Yeah. When he does interviews, like he's, he's a really good interviewer as well. Where he, you know, it seems like he's responding to the question that, or responding to what the person has just said, Mm -hmm. rather than going to the next on the prepared list of questions. Well, and that's a big part of it is to recognize that you're not necessarily going to get through all the prepared questions. You always have to do that mental calculation of how much time do you have left and where is the best direction for this to go. You can force it to go down the road of the prepared questions, but that's going to ruin the flow in some cases. And if somebody is kind of showing some energy and they're heading in a particular direction, sometimes the best thing to do is let them go in that direction. If it's related to the subject area and it's relevant and useful information, keep probing them on that and let them go in that direction rather than forcing them into your preconceived question list. And you can plan that. That is something that you definitely can rehearse. A little bit, but in a lot of cases, what happens in the show is its own thing. You can't necessarily plan for it. Well, what you can do is plan the the overall, what I mean is you can plan the overall structure. So you can say, okay, Mark, I'm going to ask you questions about um, the difficulty of hiring people for your company. And you know, what specifics do you want to touch on? And you give me five specifics. And then I say, okay, I'll start with this. And if we, you know, so here's the most important, this is one I want to start with. And if we get two or three, that's great. We don't need to get all five. You have to give yourself permission to not get to every single bit. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's something that is really a, it comes with practice because if you have a prepared speech, it's really important that you get through it all, right? It's You feel like, okay, I, I oh, I missed that. I have this line, I have this line. But if you want to have a conversation with someone and think about a Zoom meeting or a virtual meeting or a conference as a conversation with one person, not an entire group of people, you're always talking to one person. How do you want it? How would you like to be spoken to? Do you want to be spoken to in a very stiff, monotone manner where people aren't moving and they, there's no good body language, there's nothing to look at, or do you want to be entertained? You know, no matter what the topic is, you want to be entertained to some yeah, degree. absolutely. Which takes me back to my, my Wired Magazine copying of the Google thing and my Arts and Crafts project. <laughs> yeah, it worked really well because it, it gave you something to look at. It was a prop, but it gave you something physical that wasn't a slide deck. You had a couple of slides because there's a few things that you wanted to show. But then what happened is you got rid of the slides. 
see on Zoom and a lot of these things, you put the slide up there, it's 80% of the screen. And mm-hmm. then your video is a little tiny clip on the, on the edge. But when you get rid of the slide and it's actually a physical thing beside you, it's full screen along with you. So you have that better um, screen presence because the screen is broken up in a much better way. So your head is half of the visual um, area and the screen, uh, your little chart thing was the other half. It fit way better than Zoom's kind of brain dead way of doing it. Yeah, that was, um, it also gives people something new to look at, I think. And this is really important in any presentation, not just Zoom. But if you think about presentations, anytime someone does something different, you automatically evaluate the presentation as higher. Mm -hmm. So if they get you to, I've seen presentations where they get um, everybody to hum and, or do some sort of musical thing. And the, the general idea is that if you have more and more people, you can be more and more in tune. Mm-hmm. Like the general sound becomes more in tune. Yeah. And so you can have one or one side of the group does one sound and the other side of the group does the other sound. And then you can show something like that. I hate the ones that are stand up and hug your oh, person God. next to you. I hate those, but the ones that are more um, general are really, really good. And you tend to, you think, oh, you know, this is going to be a good presentation because someone has thought of something interesting. Um, so what I was thinking was that, okay, let's do something that's non-digital. Mm. I mean, because anything that I do that's digital, I'm going to have that stupid, you know, the way the slides get presented, I can't share anything because then the heads get reduced yeah. and it's a conversation. So I don't want the heads to be reduced. So I was, I don't know how I thought of it, but I love those wired interviews with people. I, mm-hmm. I just really like them. So um, someone I remember once saying that mimicry is, or there's nothing original, Yeah, nothing original anymore. So that, you know what, I'll take that. Cause you know, it's kind of silly that people would be asking questions about content development in Carrier's Edge. <laughs> so it's not going to be a thing. So I'll just make it up. So I, I printed out um, the Google. I did a search. I can't remember what the search was for. So I got the, I did the search and got the first few letters. So I got the visuals of what that was going to look like. And then um, the most difficult part was printing it out because we have eight and a half by 11 and I wanted it bigger. So I had... I spent out. I spent a couple hours on this, is putting piecing together this ghoul thing, so that it would look like a, like it would look like one white piece. And then I was going to cover. Then I was printing out the questions, and I stuck that on. And then I was taking all taking those strips of paper and sticking them on. So it looked like when you look at it in real life, it looks like this. Looks terrible. Oh yeah, yeah it it's looks like, like a, a Frankenstein of yeah, elementary school project. But when you put it on the camera, the you camera... You do a little further away. Well, it automatically does that uh, clean up my appearance thing or uh, remove all of the specs and that sort of stuff. So it sort of blurs it and you end up with something that actually looked very smooth. I know. It was bizarre. It was like, oh my God, it worked. And I was going to use it no matter how bad it looked. I didn't care. I mean, because it was something to look at. Yeah. It's kind of a jokey prop. Yeah. And I think more people could use jokey props. Yeah. So I told Chris, Chris Henry, who works with us and is the VP of Customer Success and Programs, uh, and he's probably listening to this. I told him that he needed something 
in his background because he's going to be doing the Best Fleets podcast. And he has this friggin' audio foam stuff everywhere that I'm surrounded by. I'm surrounded by the audio foam right now. I'm tired of audio foam. And if you've listened to this podcast, you know what I feel about audio foam. So Chris has all this black audio foam behind him. And I'm like, you need something else, man. Something else. Have some personality. Like have, I don't know, anything. So he does have, he does have something now. Yeah, he put a basketball back. net up. Oh, you weren't supposed to say. I was going to say. You have to watch the well, you best have to, It's hard to kind of figure out what it is because it's not very much it's right of it behind shown. it of his head. Yeah. But you're just wondering what's sticking out over his head. Yeah, well, we don't want them to be distracted from the amazing content that he's putting together. People are going to be distracted by the content. going to be, you can't control that. I mean, it, in a perfect world, everybody is listening to every word we say with, you know, with great intensity and is remembering everything. But really, they're going to get about three minutes of it. And it will probably be me because I tend to talk more than you. I don't let you talk, I know. So we're accepting and acknowledging that people are listening to this while they're thinking about their own projects and their mm-hmm. shopping list. And I hope so. All of that. The best thing about podcasts is that it lets you do something else while you're listening. Yeah. And it lets you have that, it's that place your brain goes where you can get new ideas. Yeah. It occupies just enough of your mental acuity, just enough of your attention span that your subconscious can get to work on the things that it needs to process. And maybe one of the things that we say actually twigs some great idea. I know that, I don't know specifically any podcasts that made me think of good ideas, but I know that um, when I'm gardening, I listen to podcasts a lot. Hmm. And just the format of podcasts and what I like about podcasts, like the whole structure of podcasts that I enjoy has influenced this podcast and other things that I've done. So what we're doing with the webinars is influenced by all the other media that I take in, like a podcast or um, like for the Best Fleets podcast, I'm thinking about intros. Like when we design the intro, I'm thinking about intros from other things that I like and what, mm-hmm. what things do I like about them? So it may not be anything to do with the content that we're doing. It may be all to do with structure. That and it may be totally subconscious that you get yeah. bits and pieces of it from different places and it pops up in a new idea. Or the music. Yep. So, I'm sure the music is influential for of everybody. Of course it is. Everybody is only listening to this podcast because yeah. you did the music After at the my beginning. intro tune is done, they just turn off. Speaking of which, you need to do some intro stuff for me. Yeah, I know. Yeah, don't say that or I'm just going to say go find something. Oh, don't. No, I'll do it this weekend. Okay, there you go. I can get you done for you. Nothing yeah. like the threat of going there to the are. public domain. Once again, Jane is management by podcast. <laughs> it's whimsical, man. It is. <laughs> okay, so what other work stuff is happening? Well, we have... Oh, I thought you were asking me. <laughs> Yeah, that's why that horrified look came on your face. No, we have some work stuff that's kind of new for us. That's a bit of an adventure for us. We posted a position a week ago for a transportation subject matter expert, Mm -hmm. which is our first time hiring in this role. Well, actually, really the first time hiring somebody from inside the trucking industry. 
Right. Chris doesn't really count because he was insurance and software. He was sort of industry adjacent. Yeah, he he was industry, but not, yeah, industry adjacent, I would agree. But now with that. we're bringing in somebody that is directly from the industry, somebody who is going to take over what you've been doing as being the guru of regulations and compliance and best practices and all of that kind of stuff. So, okay, so wait, we need to pause there for everybody to laugh at the fact that I am actually an expert. Well, you a are. lot of these things. Well, no, let's give people a minute. Okay. So it's like the whimsical thing. You're starting to laugh. You know, people hit the pause button if you need a laugh. But I am actually very knowledgeable about a lot of regulations now in both countries. And I also know, I mean, I can answer pretty much any question about anything that has to do with our courses and some things that don't have to do with our courses because I have to keep up with it. But the reason why we are hiring a new person in the role is because I can't do that anymore. Like content needs someone else to do it. Well, they can't be waiting for you to have time to do it. Yeah. That's the thing. So when you have, as the team grows and it's been good, we've been able to manage up to a point, but we're past that tipping point where we've got people that are doing really good work in churning out content, but they're kind of sitting there waiting for the guru on regulations to confirm that it is accurate and really complete complete and reflective of the real world of a driver. So we need a body in there doing that. So we put a posting out last week and I've been going through the screening. I'm not going to say very much about the individuals, of course, Uh, as with all positions, there's a lot of people that are completely unqualified we get some people that actually have some transport experience, but you get all kinds of people that are unemployed and you're just throwing their resume out everywhere. So I've been in a car. I could be this. Oh, sometimes they didn't even mention that. <laughs> I'm a retail analyst. And Oh, uh, analyst. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm so. a retail analyst. So yes, that work? I be, yeah. <laughs> or, uh, yeah, I got, uh, I worked in a warehouse. I was a forklift operator or something like that. So, yeah, we are looking for somebody who is pretty well versed in all of the North America wide regulations, not just Ontario, not just Alberta, all of the federal and provincial stuff here, all of the federal stuff in the U.S., and even state level things that affect interstate carriers. So that is a big job. Yeah, I don't know. Well, actually, if you watch the webinar, the Tiff- Tiffany and, and my web Tiffany's and my webinar, um, I think there's a recording of it on Vimeo or something, yep. or you can get to it through one to, through our LinkedIn page. Um, we don't just do one course on anything; it's multiple courses. Almost every single course is in multiple versions, multiple languages um, for different types of vehicles. And you have to keep all of it in your head. Well, you don't have to keep all of it in your head, but you have to account for all of that every time you're writing something new. Mm -hmm. We have like 15 hours of service courses. and um, You probably have 15 that are just English. Yeah, just English. So we are probably, so we'll have... Plus different languages, yeah. So you have 15 that are English. Yeah, 25 to 30. yeah, Yeah, 30 or more. So, and, and that's something, you know, you have to know what course, you know, what course is dealing with what country and the differences and the regs between each country. And 
And there's a lot of research that goes into that. And I think um, I can do a lot of that stuff off the top of my head, but somebody needs to keep up with that research, especially, oh, transportation of dangerous goods keeps going through all these changes. And we need somebody who can keep up with those. That's not me because I'm not, I mean, I'm trying, but it's very Well, you have other work to do. I have a lot. I have I have a bunch of rules that need to be filled. I need to be replaced in a lot of the rules yeah. that I've been doing. Well, and that's where I think some of the challenge comes in. And what we've realized in this sort of our position in the industry and this role in particular, realizing that trucking traditionally is just nothing documented. It's all mm-hmm. oral tradition of information being passed around and passed down. So there's a lot of broken telephone that happens. A lot of people that have developed their own sort of solutions that work for them in their particular context, but there's no definitive source of information on things. And what we end up doing is sort of becoming a definitive written documentation source for particular interpretations of regulations, particular best practices, clarifying all of that misinformation that's out there because we've got to serve everybody across the continent. And we have to, and one of the things that's really important is the words you use. Yes. Because the trucking industry, because it's an old, old industry spread out across North America, different regions have different words for things. And there are different countries have different words for things. And the slang that um, professional drivers come up with is, is crazy. I mean, I was looking at something... I was looking at a driver board yesterday and I can't remember why, but I was looking at a word that I had never heard. I understood what it was from the context, but I was like, okay, I've never heard that one before. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I've had difficulty finding, um, finding information because I have the trucking word, not the outside trucking word. Mm. And so Google wants the outside trucking word. So I have to figure <laughs> out what that is. Like, what is this thing in re- like, you know, outside of trucking? What it's, is it referred to? Cause I'll get more hits on Google. It's, um, you know, these are things that someone who's, you know, that this role would be able to help with the downside. Well, maybe the, it depends on what you like doing. Um, we're looking for someone who likes words yeah. Likes writing them, likes reading them, likes... Well, the description that you came up with when we were defining the position and sort of talking about the job really captures it nicely is you need to be able to read a 100-page Word document and find all of the details in there and know what's in the right order and the wrong order, what's missing, what is getting the wrong focus, too much or too little focus, and be able to keep all of that in your head at both sort of a high level and a low level. So you need to have that big picture of that entire hundred page document, but you also need to have the minutia of the specific wording on one particular page and make sure it's consistent across the whole thing. Yeah. Just so you know, that's what we do. (laughs) That's our job and content. That's what your team does every day. And at least you don't have to write the hundred word as this person, you wouldn't have to write the hundred word document, a page document, but that's what courses end up being. They end up being about, um, well, I would say that I often will send an 80-page audio script to a voiceover person. And now, granted, it's in a bigger font so that the voiceover person can, can read it. Um, but the words, I mean, they, we pay by the word, so it's not really, <clears throat> doesn't really matter how it's formatted. 
But they are, it's long courses because mm-hmm. the other thing that what we do is we create a really long course and then chop it up. Yeah. So you have the choice of how to take it. And so when you do that, there's a lot of pages. And now we chunk them out up. It's not like one huge long document on TDG. It's we separate that into topics and modules and say, okay, this one is to do with this and this one is to do with this. And then so that, you know. But you still have to slog through 100 pages. That's Well, when you send a translation script, it can be 25,000 words. Oh, yeah. Oh, more than that. Yeah, 30,000 words sometimes. I'm trying to think of well, what I'm, the I'm, normal word count is. Well, I know what they charge. They charge 25. Word. Well, Denise. And I know what the bills typically are. So they would be in the 25 to 30,000 word range. Yeah. So... That's something that needs to be done. And also you're talking about your voiceover script and I realized something else that we will be relying on this position for and that is pronunciation. <gasps> yeah, all of the acronyms, some of them are spelled out and some of them become words of their own. Okay, can I just tell you about my border crossing trauma? <laughs> There's a good example there. So in when you're crossing the border, you have to, and I've done a course on, we've done a course on border crossing, um, and it's mostly around CTPAT, but it works for non-CTPAT. There's a great example. Yeah, it's CTPAT. C-T-P-A-T, it's CTPAT. It's CTPAT. I really hope that I am correct. Hopefully, it is. Okay. Um, so it, this border crossing course will go through, goes through a lot of the things like having a fast card and things like that. So there are a billion border crossing programs. There's border crossing programs for um, the driver, the carrier, the shipper, and there's there's this. So they have them on the U.S. They have complementary ones in Canada. So in the U.S., they have acronyms for all of these things. So FAST is the acronym for the FAST card, the Trusted Travelers version for drivers, and happily in in Canada, it's also called FAST. However, there is a French version of that. It's Fast Express. So, okay, that's fine for fast. But there's like four or five other sets of acronyms. Like so um, PIP and, oh God, ACE and ACI and Manifest and all of that stuff. I have a huge chart full of them at the beginning of the course. And the issue in Canada is that the Canadian ones have English acronyms and they have completely different French ones. So in the English course, I just used the American acronym and the Canadian English acronym. That's it. So for ACE and ACI, that was, that was it. So I would just have ACE slash ACI. Well, there's another translation in French. So if I do the French one, which acronym do I use, Mark? (laughs) Because the, there's a French acronym, but a lot of people don't bother using it. They will just go with the English or the American one. Well, yeah. So you have to, right. it probably is going to be. So there could be three different names for the, what is essentially the same program. Most of the time there are three different names. And some people will use one, some people will use the other. Yeah. And in theory, they should all be using the English if it's border crossing. Since you have to speak English to cross the border, but... Yeah, but translators will always go with the French version of a government program. Right. They're not going to here like Wemis is Simda. It's always going to have a French version. Yeah. yeah, but the thing is, is that we're not doing it for the government. It, these are government programs that truckers use. Right. So for a driver who's crossing the border, 
what should I use? So I actually reached out to um, one of our uh, carriers who does cross-border and who is French to say, you know, which one? What, what, what do I do? Because I cannot put three acronyms in a sentence every single yeah. time. Like, that's crazy. So I did kind of what I normally do is I choose what I want to use and show all of them and then basically start using the ones that I want to use afterwards. So, you know, if you want to find out what these things are, you can find out all of the links in French, go to the French versions of the the government pages and all that stuff like that. Um, but what the real hard part was telling our voiceover guy how to pronounce all of these <laughs> things because there's a different pronunciation in French and English for an acronym. Okay. So which acronyms get pronounced in English and which get pronounced in French? And then Fast Express, like do you pronounce the whole thing in English or do you use Fast Express with the Express pronounced in the correct French way, which I'm not doing? <laughs> uh, like, let's just, just so you know, I'm pretty Anglo. Um, so that was, so we got it wrong. Or yeah, like TMD, he didn't know that TMD referred to TDG. So he said it in English and it mm. needed to be in French. So we had to do some corrections. And then uh, Tiffany was saying, oh, but there's something different with Fast Express. And should I just, I'm like, okay, we're done now. I'm not, and we're not, <laughs> yeah, I'm just not it. doing it anymore. Everybody will get it. Yeah. If, if it's not, if an acronym on page seven is not pronounced in French, we will get over it. It's well, good enough. That. No, I'll wait for a year and then, then next time we'll. We'll fix then it. Then it will be the uh, subject matter experts' problem to deal oh with. Oh my God! It was so just like that is a whole project. For this, this position, who is uh, listening to the podcast? This is the kind of stuff you're going to have to deal with. Yeah, it's super detailed, super picky, and because someone will say something about it, you know, yeah. Yeah. someone will say something about it, and then I will be like, I'm. Yeah, because the whole, the fast card, is it the fast express card or is it the fast card? <laughs> Shoot me now. So this is why we need somebody. Yeah. Because that was just one issue. On yeah, one that course. was one issue on one course. Other than that, the course was fine. And it wasn't even a brand new course. It's just a translation of an existing course. Yeah. So all of the work that the content team are doing, a lot of the heavy lifting is on that initial course. The translations are typically easier. And I think in a large part of it, the Spanish ones are probably easier because there is no official source. You can kind of make your own rules that way. Yeah. Oh, Spanish is way easier because I can just say, say it in English and there is no, there's no Spanish version. Right. Um, there is not like here where there's official versions that translators will go to because there's an actual dictionary. Somewhere, there's some translation dictionary. Yes, OQLF keeps a, a dis dictionary of all of that. What does that stand for? Uh, the Office Québécois de Langue Française. Thank you. And as you can tell, I'm very Anglo as well. <laughs> You're but way the, less Anglo than me. I can't even remember that or pronounce it. Now I've had experience with it. But I remember this issue coming up uh, in the Ontario uh, LCV certification program because they... As part of the original uh, agreement between the provinces, they translated everything, mm -hmm. all of the tests and everything into French, and then discovered that there's a lot of terminology that drivers don't use the French label for, exactly. they don't use the French name for. I think it's air brakes related. I, I seem to remember it being around air brakes and vehicle inspection. 
And uh, so people were failing the test, not because they don't understand air brakes, but because the terminology was foreign to them. They weren't, uh, Quebec drivers weren't comfortable, weren't familiar with the French terms. They just always used the English ones. So they had to update that and have kind of a test that is sort of a bastardized French-English hybrid. Franglais. Yeah. It's a Franglais-type test, and that worked better. So I do that. I try to accommodate that. I try to figure out what words are actually being used in English, and I will tell the translator, this is, don't translate this. This is, this hmm. is how it is. For border crossing, I didn't do that. It was like, okay, here you go. Just translate this. So I had to actually go back and do it afterwards because he had translated all, he had used all of the French acronyms and didn't use any of the English. And I think that for a lot of drivers who listen to people talk about it in English, like there's no point in talking about the French name of a, of a government program when none of the people you work with ever use it. Yeah. I mean, it's great that it's there and it needs to be there because it's an official language, but, uh, you you know, people don't use it. Yep. So this is the the challenges of the subject matter. Everybody's going to be withdrawing their applications now. Well, I'm starting. I guess when this podcast comes out, I will be about to start doing phone interviews for the people that have made it to that stage. And our evaluation process for all our positions is kind of a process of elimination that people that have the basic uh, skill sets the experience sort of hit that threshold they go through screening questions and then if they have good responses to their screening questions they advance to an interview and if they do well there they get an exercise and this time the exercise is going to be rough i'm putting them through the ringer on this because we in this particular situation because it's the first time we're hiring somebody from inside the industry We are getting applications from people that we know. I certainly won't disclose any names, but there are people that we know had previous relationships with through uh, them being customers or partners or whatever the case may be that are interested in this position. And I know there is a chance that some of these people may get partway through and then not advance farther. So I got to make sure that the person that we bring in, even the person that gets as far as me turning them over to you to start doing the final screening for your position. That has to be somebody that really is a good fit that has a very high likelihood of success because the last thing we want to do is bring in somebody because we know them or we think they're going to be fine and then discover that it's not a good fit for them. It's not a good fit for either of us. That just ends up with bad blood and we don't want that. We don't want anybody sort of leaving this position unhappy because it wasn't the right fit in the first place. So to minimize that and to make sure that we can have a really good uh, defense for who we hire, we've got to put them through the ringer and say, this person demonstrated that they were really good for the job because they did this, this, and this really well, far better than anybody else. And other people clearly didn't really want to be doing that. So it wasn't going to be a good fit for them. I think that the the whole thing about words... But really enjoying reading, really, you know, the whole idea of written communication, reading and writing and communicating that way and explaining things in words, being able to draw diagrams, that kind of um, enjoying that kind of thing, like enjoying not just the telling someone how something works, but, you know, really getting into the nitty gritty of Mm -hmm. explaining it to, to them. If you like that, 
You will. I mean, that's what we do. And somebody who also likes doing the research, people that really love digging into the the thing and being sort of an investigator. So again, and that whole going back to that whole oral tradition, I'm great. You know, when we have people who help us out with courses and you know give us kind of a verbal explanation, or they'll do kind of a little little mini session on something or a demo or or something like that to help get a concept across or explain how, you know, how things work. That is not the job. The job <laughs> is, you know, I, you don't know how much I appreciate that. I think that is, it's wonderful. And I love the fact that I can get that kind of help to help my understanding of content. But the way that we work is with the written word. Mm-hmm. And we work like the entire content team is all about writing and we will send each other huge long messages that we expect everybody to read thoroughly and respond to each part of them. Um, we send messages that are grammatically correct all the time. <laughs> you know, we will shame each other if we're using a an exclamation point too many times or what are you using that semicolon for? Lose your semi like well, that is how nasty like we are grammar like complete dorks (laughs) we really are we enjoy it we can have a conversation about you know passive and active voice and now all these people are going to be withdrawing their applications hey you know what it's 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 what we enjoy and it's and and i mean it's not the only thing but you have to have an appreciation for it if you don't like email if you don't like the written word, if you would rather pick up a phone and talk to somebody, you're not going to enjoy it because this, our, our entire company is like that. Yeah, We all write all the time. We very rarely, um, well, sometimes we do, um, but because we have lots of meetings and things like that. But if we need someone, something quick from someone, it's written. Absolutely. It's absolutely, yeah, I I don't want to talk to people that much. (laughs) Okay. Well, I I think that is a wonderful sentiment to end this section on. (laughs) So, yeah, put the fear of God into people. It's like, if you like reading. Well, hey, this is how we do it for all of these positions. Yeah. If you have listened to this thing and you're not turned off and you're not disgusted, then you might be the right candidate. Yeah, you know, because we're going to make it hard. We're going to, we're going to try and push away everybody. We're going to make it difficult for them and unappealing. And if they're still there at the end of it, then they're exactly the right person. And then they're going to be happy like all of the rest of the staff. Yeah. the, The staff are very happy because we made sure that they were the right people for the position. Yeah. And I think I have had the same conversation with everybody that I interview is that this is what it's like here. It's not like, you know, you're going to be doing this, this, and this, and this. We get in the weeds. We enjoy the weeds. Um, We're not going to make you, you know, do anything social. (laughs) (laughs) And, and people who fit in go, yay. Yeah. You know, if you have your own social life that you're dealing with, then that's great. You keep on with that. Yep. Anyway, so. So the last thing that we'll talk about is we'll shift gears a little bit and talk about some Best Fleet stuff because as you pointed out, we've got some cool things happening that are totally different this year purely because of the change in schedule. 
Yes. Uh, the change in schedule has let us um, not try and shoehorn a whole bunch of things in in a crazy rate. And I guess um, I was thinking of the podcast, but what I know what you're thinking of is the plaques. Yeah. No, that's what you'd said before. Yeah. Right? I thought that was a great idea to talk about is that because the convention is not happening until September, we will not be unveiling the overall winners until then, but we do have the opportunity to send plaques out in advance. Normally we have the plaques prepared at in this stage. time yeah. and we hand them out to people just before the award presentation, which happens in March. And since that's not happening this year, we thought, well, let's ship the plaques to everybody in advance and then get them. Well, they can have their plaque. They're not waiting six more months. Like if we give them a plaque in September, they're going to have it for six months and then they get their next one afterwards. So yeah. it's kind of a waste. And we don't want to burn them on that. But also it gives us the opportunity to do something a bit fun, as you suggested, is send them the plaque and then get them to post pictures of themselves and their teams with the plaques. And we'll do a whole social media campaign around that. Yeah. And like as much of their company as they want to. So as many of their drivers as they can. And they, they most of the Americans have gotten vaccines more quickly than we are so they're coming along there may be an opportunity for actually people to gather and take pictures of the entire group without we could see a a, like a group of people without masks i know cringing at it i know so canada may not be as easy to do if they do that they will be judged yeah (laughs) but american fleets that have got uh, shots everybody has got uh, the vaccination then for sure get together and have a party yeah, or video. I think video, video would be, would be good, good too. too. Yeah. I'm good would with that. that. We can use it for social media. We can use it for the actual um, Best Fleets presentation awards. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm really looking forward. Like, that's the other thing is that we know how happy people are when we see them at the conference or the convention. You know, there's a lot of, we get a lot of feedback from the actual from the, the, the leaders of these fleets or whoever was representing them on stage, but we don't really get to see anybody else. Yeah, the rest of the team. Yeah, and that's something that I kind of, you know, I'd like to see, and I always like to see the pictures of everybody having a celebration or doing something with Best Fleets because it makes it feel like the program isn't just a recruiting tool. It's something that people actually value. And one of the ideas that we came up with, I think, yesterday related to that is that because the convention is September, we're not going to be printing the results book until closer to the convention time. So like around Labor Day, mm-hmm. we've got that opportunity to take these pictures and actually put them in the results book. Yes. So we have the ability. I was going to say that. Oh. I was going to leave that as a surprise, but I didn't know if you were, but you said it, so it's fine. I was yeah, thinking. I don't think it's say, a surprise. Okay. Although it may be a surprise because we might change our mind and not do it. So if anybody's listening. You may or may not. Do video, do pictures, send them. Yes. There's a very good likelihood that we're going to end up putting them in the book. They will appear somewhere. They might appear in the book. They will definitely appear on social media, likely on the website as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That would be really good. But yeah, we'll use them where we can. And if people send us enough video, when we go to do our breakout session, we could just play all of those videos. And And stop talking. Yeah, we don't have to do anything. Yeah. And then, ah. (laughs) We have a breakout session already done. Well, yeah, but by then it's going to be old news. We That's can have true. the footage of this and then we'll do the uh, the Google search the go- and peel <laughs> off the questions. 
Is Best Fleets real? Yeah, Actually, there may that. be actual Best Fleets questions when there you There we go. We can do when that. When you look up an auto an autofill on That'll be our our breakout session and it'll be and engaging I will, and enjoyable. I will, I will replicate my my arts and crafts thing. Yeah. So maybe I'll see if Marley can help me with it. Yeah. <laughs> Poor Marley. They they print out a bunch of those things. They have easels in all the breakout rooms. They oh, print yeah, out these 11 by 17 the, things on cardstock. Oh crap, yeah. They totally do that. I could give them a See, I can be whimsical. You are no, that's not whimsical. That's oh. imaginative. Okay. That Damn. is creative thinking. Trying. No, whimsical is like, hey, Jane, let's go get candy floss and dress in tutus. Okay, I'm not going to do that. Yeah, see, you're not whimsical. Okay. Like, I'm creative then. I'll I always that. find that whimsical is like a... It's a, it's a very... It's somebody who's like not even of this earth kind of thing. Like someone who is sort of beyond, you're like, where are you coming from? So I don't think I'm whimsical. I don't think you're whimsical. Okay. Uh, but we have creative ideas. Try- yes, creative And our is- breakout session may be very different. Well, if you were whimsical during the breakout session, <laughs> people would be leaving probably. No, I'm the straight man. You're the one adds whimsy by going off on a tangent exactly okay so if we reversed i don't know if you could even do it i could probably do you i don't think you could do me without getting in trouble (laughs) you know that's a that's not you don't want to go there yeah although i think that kind of brings us to the end i was gonna say i think that's a good point anytime we get punchy it's the time to end the the podcast I think I started this podcast punchy. Yeah. But okay. It's all gone now. Well, okay. there we go. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a great day.